It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Kyle Rittenhouse is not guilty of all charges, all five charges that were brought against him out of seven initially brought against him in a court of law in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And you know all of that. And we will talk about the ramifications of that particular decision on the Second Amendment, on self-defense. And we will talk about all of the chicanery in the prosecution's case. And we'll do that with our own Kenny Hitt, who's going to talk to us about the Hocus Pocus Out of Focus video and how that may portend worse things to come for people who are in the legal profession and for people who end up as a defendant. Your life could hang on the balance of a fuzzy picture. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because everybody's going to say, oh, you know, there was the decision. Uh, He was not guilty on five counts. And excellent. That was the right decision, by the way. And I will say this at the outset. How incredibly brave were those jurors to make a decision that they feared might set their city on fire again. So I give them all the kudos and mad respect that they deserve as a result of their decision uh, based on the evidence in the case, but which flies in the face of the woke mob that runs that damn city. So I wanted to go over with you a few of the things that the prosecution did that I believe was unethical, illegal, and that should be adjudicated in the courts. They should be, these prosecutors, Thomas Binger and Jim Krause, should be disbarred for the way they conducted themselves, dealt with different kinds of evidence and video and witnesses, etc. in this trial. It was an outrage for anyone who believes that justice still can exist in the United States of America. There is so much misinformation about what happened the night Kyle Rittenhouse fired his weapon at four. Yes, there were four attackers. And it's hard to know where to begin to chronicle all of the things that they did wrong. But let's start with the prosecutors who began, promulgated, created some of the slanders picked up by the media. If you want a list of all the things I'm going to tell you right now on this podcast, definitely go to the show notes. And I want you to click on the PJ Media article I wrote Friday night, which is entitled, How Unethical Were the Prosecutors Trying to Put Kyle Rittenhouse in Prison? Let us count the ways. So let us do that. In fact, the prosecutors were the promulgators, in fact, the progenitors of a lot of the misinformation and indeed disinformation that resulted from the riots in Kenosha. And the date on which Kyle Rittenhouse answered the call to go and protect the car source company, one of its three locations two of which had been almost subsumed by fire and riotous behavior. And so he went to the third location. He was asked to. Uh, That's a story. I'll get to that eventually. So bear with me. So to put it succinctly, Thomas Binger and Jim Krause, 
the prosecutors in this case left a giant skid mark on the robes of justice. Yes, I actually wrote that in my PJ Media article. It gets worse. They put a a Krauss-sized turd on Lady Justice's scale. They attempted to railroad this kid for taking care of himself, for defending himself during a riot. And they almost put an 18-year-old in prison. He was 17 at the time, but he's 18 now. And they almost put an 18-year-old in prison because he fought for his life and he took out three of his heroes, as Binger called them. Now, Americans already disgusted by the manufactured Trump Russia. He's a Russian secret spy. And the counterintelligence investigations into the concerned parents at school board meetings. If that didn't blackpill you on the justice system, then this trial will have repulsed you. They're supposed to be the good guys, right? The prosecutors are supposed to be the good guys. The defense attorneys defend the guilty. But not in this case. Sure, he shot two people to death and wounded a third egregiously. But he did so in service of saving his own life. Would you prefer that Kyle Rittenhouse be dead right now? Because Joseph Rosenbaum got a hold of his gun when he gun when he reached it. Or how about Anthony Huber, who reached for his gun after beating him with his skateboard? What is Anthony Huber, a convicted felon multiple times of uh, domestic violence? Oh, sure. What would he do with Kyle Rittenhouse's gun? I, I know I'm getting I'm raising my voice. Honest to goodness. It's such such an outrage what they did to this kid. You can blame leftist propagandists. What you need to do is reflect and reassess the news purveyors that you access. Because guess what? If you think any of the crazy stuff that they said about Kyle Rittenhouse were true, you need to change your news source. Honestly, there is a Mike Nifong-sized ring of hell for prosecutors who introduce these slanders into a courtroom knowing that their subterfuge might put a kid in prison for the rest of his life. Remember Mike Nifong? He was run out of town. He was the DA in Durham, North Carolina. He lied and said a bunch of Duke lacrosse players raped a woman. And you're not going to believe this, but he has been eradicated from polite society and the legal society because of his nefarious malfeasance in that case. So Thomas Binger and Jim Krause, oh, they're right up there with Mike Nifong. They invoked lies. They knew they were lies into pre-trial bail hearings. They lied about Kyle Rittenhouse. They knew this kid. They had already done investigations about this kid. They knew what happened. They never changed. They never revisited their charges. They never did any of it. They never did any of it. What they did was they stuck with their story that he was a white supremacist, that he'd come over state lines, that he was dangerous, that he'd provoke someone else. Of course, the provoking situation came up in the mid-trial when he chased Joseph Rosenbaum and then shot him in the back. Crap didn't work. All of these lies were dutifully transcribed by their friends in the media. Indeed, 
As I reported at PJ Media, prosecutors never looked back to revise or reassess the charges. They were, in fact, that was testimony in the trial. Well, we never actually we never actually went back and reassessed the charges after we'd done an investigation and found out the kid was reliably, undoubtedly innocent. Well, Binger and Krauss, you two were to blame for nearly blackpilling the rest of America who still had hope in the justice system even after the FBI and DOJ scandals. You had a chance at a clean trial and you chose poorly. You chose wrong, and you shall pay. And that may mean your boss is not elected the next time around, and that means that you should probably not have your jobs. And it, I believe that you should be blackballed from the practice of law in the state of Wisconsin after the chicanery and outrageous things that you did in this trial. Let's just go over a few of those things, shall we? District Attorney Mike Gravely chose to bring the case against someone with a clear-cut case of self-defense. And then he put his attack dogs on it. Now, as I understand it, Mike Gravely usually likes to take these high-profile cases himself because he wants to trot around, fluff up his own feathers. But the thing is, is that he didn't. He put this stinker on Thomas Binger and Jim Krause, the two ADAs, assistant district attorneys, that took the case. So the case at the very first was overcharged. Uh, Daily Caller reporter Richie McGinnis, who appeared to be hiding behind a car at the time that Rosenbaum went after Kyle Rittenhouse. And if you doubt me, go look at the video. It's been out there for over a year. Over a year. And he thought it was overcharged. He didn't feel as if his life had been necessarily the subject of reckless endangerment. He was the guy who got there first to give first aid to Joseph Rosenbaum. When Joseph Rosenbaum told Kyle Rittenhouse, F you, and grabbed his gun, or as Rich, I think Richie McGinnis put it, lunged for his gun. Defense attorney Mark Richards told reporters after the verdict that putting on the uh, Canindry brothers, uh, the owners of CarSource, I'm mistaking their name, uh, pronunciation, but anyway, they lied about that the fact that they gave permission to these people to guard their business. And in fact, they did give him permission, gave him a key, gave him access, did everything, drove them to the scene, and they're just too damn cheap to hire, like, legit security. So they hired friends of uh, Dominic Black and others and said, hey, and a city councilman in Kenosha asked people to come and defend the city. And so they did. And there was a very good reason for it. It is because so much of the downtown core area had been fire, engulfed in flames. Uh, You know the drill. You listen to this podcast because, you know, you know, I keep track of Antifa and I've told you about Portland and Seattle. This is going on in Kenosha. Same people, different city. Kyle Rittenhouse lived in the area. He was not a chaos tourist or a vigilante, as prosecutors called him. He was a good kid. He came to help. Yes, he came to help his community because 
His dad lived there. He worked there. It was his community. He lived 17 minutes away. It would be like saying somebody who lived in Maryland didn't belong in the Washington, D.C. That's absurd. It's like saying somebody who lives in New Jersey is a an out-of-towner who doesn't deserve to conduct his life in New York City. Get out of here. So the gun used in the shooting, shootings, I should say, that gun was purchased by Kyle Rittenhouse's friend, Dominic Black. You know, one of these days, we're going to go over that kid's testimony. I say kid, because everybody under 30 is a kid to me, because I'm old. <sighs> this kid bought the gun and kept the gun. So for all intents and purposes, it was his gun. But he bought it with Kyle Rittenhouse's money. Didn't matter, because Kyle Rittenhouse didn't actually use the gun. You know why? Because it was kept in Kenosha in Dominic Black's stepdad's gun safe. Got it? He didn't have access to it. He'd shot it once. They made a pact. And they said, okay, when I turn 18, I want to be able to own that gun. And we will do a transfer and exchange of money officially. Maybe a buck. Didn't matter. Okay? So it was a legal gun. Prosecutors knew it was a legal gun. They knew it was legal for Kyle Rittenhouse to carry that night. Indeed, there is an open carry policy for rifles, long guns, in the state of Wisconsin. They held that charge of an underage kid, MIP basically, an underage person has a dangerous weapon, and they held that over that kid's head so they could figure out how to dangle that and make him squirm for a year when they knew that charge did not apply. Now, you might think, oh, you know, we do, we play these games all the time and my work or this kind of industry or what have you and the legal industry. Oh, yeah, what's the big deal, Victoria? Come on. But the thing is, is that they held on to that so long that it had inculcated itself into the mindset of reporters covering the trial and people who were very vested in the trial and Antifa and BLM. And it set it set a fish hook for a narrative, set the hook for an untrue part of the story. And they deserve all the grief that they get. Thomas Binger and Jim Krause do for keeping that charge alive. The reason they did is because they felt it was necessary for their legal theory of Kyle chasing Joseph Rosenbaum and shooting him in the back to survive. They kept that going for that ridiculous thing that was obviated by the FBI surveillance video. They kept that even though they knew it wasn't true. And I'm getting along, but let's just go over more of the things that they did. They withheld witnesses. They lied about the name of the man who provided the drone video of Joseph Rosenbaum. They lied about that. They kept it secret. They put his name on a list of witnesses that was, what, 200 people long? 
they put that they put that guy's name in there and and then claimed that they didn't know where the video was when his name was on the witness list. Now, when you're a defense attorney and this happened in the Chauvin trial, they just like, oh, well, we have 500 witnesses and they want you the single, you know, the single guy or gal who's trying the case and defending the defendant. They want you to go through all the witnesses and waste all your time and spend all your wheels and spend all that money doing that and, and bankrupt the poor guy. We well, can't do that. You got to figure out, you know, put, play your spots, who's likely to be called, blah, blah, blah. But well, this guy, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, he's just the guy whose video we're going to bring up at the tail end of the trial. And you'll hear a bit more about that from Kenny. Kenny Hitt, who is one of A-Cast's technical person. He's the guy who gets this thing on the on the air all the time. And we're going to go over that particular drone video because it is something that should not be brushed, swept under the rug. No, we're going to talk about that because every single attorney who listens to this program, and I know there are a few of you, more than a few, you're going to have to up your game on the digital aspect of your trials. Okay, so the FBI surveillance video also came into play. Oh, guess who who uh, messed with that? Oh, the prosecutors did. In fact, we didn't know the FBI had a fixed-wing aircraft over the Kenosha riots spying on people and taking video. Something over Kenosha that night. Nice to know. Oh, did they avail anyone else of it? Oh, no, we didn't find out about it. I say we, the defense, didn't find out about it until well into the trial. So they withheld it. And you know what that video showed? It showed that Joseph Rosenbaum, he's the first guy Kyle Rittenhouse shot. And that's important because they, being the prosecutors, said that set off a chain of events. So if you get Rittenhouse on this particular first act, you can have a cascading effect on the rest of the acts that occurred within, get this, two minutes and 55 seconds. So there's that video. We talk about that with uh, Kenny coming up in a minute. Prosecutors labeled Rittenhouse as an active shooter when he wasn't. If he wanted to shoot a bunch of people, I suspect he would have if he'd been some crazy man. But no, he didn't. In fact, one of the guys he ultimately ended up shooting, uh, that would be Gage Grosskartz, um, he, Gage put his hands up like a surrender and Kyle didn't shoot him. There are several other episodes along the way where he could have shot somebody if he'd wanted to in self-defense and did not do it. I'm so upset about this. I'm glad he was exonerated. Okay, I am very happy about that. But I am not happy that this happened to him because this was unfair and they almost got away with it. The case should never have been brought. It should have been dismissed, but and when should it have been dismissed? Perhaps when uh, Thomas Binger brought up the evidence per- purposely left out of the trial in violation of court order? How about the time when Grosskreutz, uh, the star witness, admitted on the stand that, well, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse didn't actually shoot me until I pointed my gun at him. How many, show of hands, know that Gage Grosskreutz had a gun. A few of you? Yeah, I see those hands. How many of you knew it was an illegally uh, uh, an illegally held gun? Couple more. Come on. If that had been Kyle Rittenhouse, don't you think Gage Grosskreutz would have been held out as a really bad 
man for having an illegal weapon? No, he had an illegal weapon. You know why his gun permit, his his uh, CCW was taken away from him? You know why? Because he's a felon. <laughs> they called Rittenhouse a coward for not throwing down his gun, which was, by the way, a Smith & Wesson M&P rifle on an AR-15 uh, platform. They said, the prosecutors did, telling America that you should have just thrown your gun down and put your dukes up and just fight like a man. Three grown men going after a 17-year-old kid. Sure, No, I'm sorry, four grown men. There were many, many things wrong with the trial. Many things. Uh, jump kick ma'am, the identity of that man was left until after the trial. That guy was another felon. All of the people, not that this means they, not that this is the reason he shot them, but every single one of the persons he shot or shot at, as in the case of Jump Kick Man, were all multiple felons with long police records. So what does this portend for all of polite society? One of the things I've been more interested in than most is the effect that the Rittenhouse trial would have on self-defense. And the reason I am very concerned about that is because of what happened to Mike Strickland. And if you don't know that case, by all means, go back and listen to it on the Adults in the Room podcast. It starts at the second podcast of the life of this podcast, by all means, the Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Uh, And it's because that has been a an ongoing concern of mine where the left doesn't want you to fight back. They just want you to, quote unquote, take the beating, as Jim Krause told the jury. Thank God. There was one good thing that came out of that trial, and that was that Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on all counts. Now, I want you to listen to my interview with Kurt Schlichter. He's a writer, he's a thinker, he's a lawyer, and he's written a lot about the law of self-defense, not like our friend Andrew Bronca, but just as an attorney and a, th- a guy who thinks about these things. He saw this case for what it was and wrote about it in Town Hall, which is contained in the show notes. Have fun with it. You're listening to a podcast and you're listening to this podcast. So I'm pretty sure you are not afraid of laughing and some tough talk. And because you're a listener, you're probably an audiobook listener, too. I know I've been listening to audiobooks since they were called Books on Tape. And that's why I'm going to tell you about the audiobooks that my company, Flamingo Audiobooks, produce. I'm currently working on a spy thriller series by John D. Trudell, whose protagonist is a former CIA guy sheep-dipped with a new legend, George Raven who now works in deep black ops. His role is to protect the country's foremost paranormal, Josie, who has scary, smart insights into some of the nation's biggest secrets. It sounds crazy, but Trudeau makes it all work. It's amazing. I've got an offer for the first 10 of you who email me at victoria at victoriataft.com. You receive a free copy of the latest Ravens series books, Ravens Redemption on Audible. Put free audiobook in the subject line. Of course, the audiobooks are also available on Amazon as well. Raven's Run is also out if you want to start from the beginning. And Raven's Resurrection is in production right now. 
If you like spy thrillers like the ones written by Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, Brad Thor, Ben Coase, you're going to love the Raven series. Well, were you shocked, maybe as shocked as I was at this verdict today? Uh, I was not shocked. Uh, I thought, look, I thought it was going to be hung after three days because I forgot that most jurors want to try and do a good job. And I think, uh, you know, I think these guys uh, were were trying to do a good job. And I think they, uh, you know, they took their time. They looked at the evidence. uh, They went and tried to, um, you know, apply it to the, the jury instructions. One of them took the jury instructions home. And it was, you know, I, I guess I'm so cynical from seeing institutions fail when some normal Americans uh, become the decision makers and when they do exactly what they should do. It's always like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> I agree. I was shocked. I When it went to the jury, uh, when it I, I I just didn't have any uh, assurance that they would do the right thing. I mean, when you're afraid for your life, if you make the wrong decision, if you're afraid that your city, your community is going to go up in flames, if you make the quote unquote wrong decision, if there's a mob out there with a bullhorn, an amplified bullhorn telling you that you'd better uh, you better make sure that kid goes to prison or else you might have some you might have some problems with coming up with the right decision well they uh you know the jurors i I can imagine that the jurors were uh concerned about they should have been uh they're going to get doxxed they're going to get hassled they're going to get pestered by the media uh but i i think a lot of this has been a giant red pill for normal americans people were told a lot of lies about kyle rittenhouse and then they saw because there it was in court they saw the lies and then he's found not guilty. And then they're watching like MSNBC track down jurors and cause, you know, normal people know you don't get to follow jurors home. OK, right. N- not a shock, not a surprise. Especially in this case. Yeah, it's not stunning. But there's a bigger element here. There's a big, broader vision here that I think was at stake and on trial in that Kenosha courtroom. And it's this. Of course, the ability for people to defend themselves against the mob, people who are coming to attack them, even the ACLU had a horrible take on that after the verdict. The president, to his credit, decided to say, hey, call off the mob. And um, there were other things that occurred. I mean, bad Jerry Nadler takes and all that stuff. But, you know, the bottom line was that there's a bigger issue. Um. So so I've always maintained that this was a huge uh, self-defense case. Clearly, it inherently was. But for the rest of us, I mean, you've written a piece about that very thing at Town Hall, and I would love to hear some of your thoughts on it. It is. Look, the, the, the purpose of prosecuting Kyle Rittenhouse was to let the peasants know that you can't protect yourself from the military wing of the Democrat Party. That, that was perfect. That was why he was prosecuted. You know, things like facts and law and evidence don't really matter to the left. 
That's why you hear him say, well, this is a big example of white supremacy. And people are, you know, it's kind of cute that people are going, oh, well, here, here, don't worry. Don't worry. He's not white. He didn't kill any white people, so we're good. Right. right. It has nothing to do with objective facts. It, it just, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's, that's how Larry Elder, the black guy running for government, became the face of white supremacy. All right? It's just, it, 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 it's not about being objective. And, you ha- and people have to stop pretending that this is about anything but uh, a crude grab at power. And the way you fight a, gr- gr- a crude grab at power is to crudely punch them back in the jaw, which is kind of what happened here. The people were like, nah. And I think a lot of people are getting super red-pilled over it. I think a lot of people are just saying, wait a minute. You know, this is the kind of thing that gets people uh, uh, marching on school boards and electing Greg Youngkin. Okay? Right. People can only sit it out for so long. Here's the problem. The left got over its skis. The left was actually uh, more dangerous in some ways when it wasn't doing this cultural crap. Because if they were doing purely economic stuff, then you get a lot of you know hardworking people going, all right, this guy's just trying to give the working man a break. That's very different from, hey, they're just trying to empower a bunch of uh, tech zillionaires in Silicon Valley by calling all of us who sweat when we uh, uh, go to our job uh, a bunch of racists. Mm-hmm. So, and the thing is, when you lose the, the, the objective reality part, and you're also reaching into people's normal lives so they can't hide from you. You know, you can't hide it from your kid when he comes home and it's like he, he, he was at the, you know, reads a book and it's like it was from the Lincoln Project Lending Library, okay? <laughs> and, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a combination of you're utterly irrational, unreasonable, because normal people are reasonable. Normal people go, well, if A plus B equals C, A you know, plus B shouldn't equal N or D right. or Z. And they, they, and they can't hide from it. So you force them into it, uh, force them into confrontation. You force them to take a stand, and you also show that you're just not rational. There's, there's no way, look, there's no way for a normal person to quote-unquote win. There's no right answer. You just lose. No matter what, you lose. You are always wrong. The answer is always you lose power and freedom and become subordinate to a bunch of uh, uh, college gender study grads. Okay? There's no way you can go to BLM and go, okay, how do I come out of this not losing? And they look at you and say, well, you, you have to. That's the result. The, the only moral result is you lose power and freedom. And it's one of the reasons why the left continued to uh, further with this fiction that the people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot were black. I mean, there are people who just up until this week thought his, his people he was shot, shooting were black. It was just like, no, no, they had to work overtime to come up with some sort of fake uh, racial, racial narrative to this issue. And it was just amazing and uh, to, to see it. No, there is no reason you write that anyone in any one of the free red states should ever have to worry that saving your own or others lives will ruin yours. Uh, that's true. 
And uh, I think, uh, you know, what we, we need to start exercising power aggressively in the red states. There are a lot of people in the red states, a lot of legislatures who are still the kind of soft cons uh, that have totally failed. And you can tell them right now. They're the guys gone. well, Kyle shouldn't have been there with a gun. Well, here's the fact. Kyle should be any damn place he feels like with any legal weapon anytime he wants. He doesn't have to conform his life to the convenience of a bunch of pedophiles who are looting. Okay, It's the pedophiles who are looting who should be afraid. It's the pedophiles who are looting who should not come out. It's the pedophiles who are looting who should walk around us. Criminals should be afraid of citizens, not vice versa. They should be an unholy terror. That The next citizen they cross will kill them, and that citizen will get a handshake from the cops. That's what should happen, okay? If you rob a, if you rob a normal person and, and put the, that normal person in, uh, in danger, that normal person should shoot you to defend himself, his freedom, his family, his constitution. And that, that should be why criminals leave normal citizens alone. There is nothing wrong with criminals being terrified of citizens. But it's so hard for some conservatives to say that because what? Are you going to be embarrassed at a cocktail party with your leftist pals when they say, I can't believe this use of part people shooting criminals. It's like, yeah, I, I, I do. When they're committing crimes and uh, threatening people, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I'm for that. That's a good thing. Great bodily injury? Yeah, darn right. Yeah. And, and conservatives should not be afraid to say so. The idea that somehow an American citizen is not allowed to go someplace because criminals decide they want to run rampant. Uh, you know, if that's is that the conservatism we're conserving? Is what? that the world we want? Guys, I, we need to make the world safe for criminals to run rampant. They were called heroes by Thomas Binger. Well, Thomas Binger. Well, Thomas Binger is not one of the, you know, he's not writing for, you know. Uh, no, he's the, not. The but he was the prosecutor. He was yeah, trying well, to sell the entire notion. Yeah, he set the narrative. He called these people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot heroes. Well, he's just and part of the Democrat establishment. I expect that from them. Uh, what I can't tolerate is it from uh, actual conservatives. In a courtroom? I don't expect that. How much lying, chicanery, and all, oh, all, I, all I kinds of things it to that happen, we saw. And there were consequences for once this time. But besides the judge, uh, a jury said, uh, no, you, you don't get to win. So, look, I expect it to happen. It's going to happen because that's how they play. But I also uh, love that there were consequences. The consequences is they lost. Today, they lost. They lost. Kyle Royer now <laughs> shot two of them dead, blew the arm off another of these scumbags, and they get nothing. They get nothing except the message, you do that, you might end up dead or, you know, a unarm. <laughs> you write over at Town Hall and your piece about self-defense. Where Republicans are in power, they must act decisively to lift the fear from citizens and put it back on the criminals where it belongs. Hear, hear. Do you care to expand? Oh, oh, yeah. That, I, look, <laughs> it, it, 
who run who who's this country for? That's the basic mm. question. If the country is for uh, criminals, looters, scumbags, mutants, weirdos, bums, hobos, scumbags, perverts, and freaks, uh, then then you want to make them safe to perform their degenerate activities. That's what the left wants. I say this country's for normal people, and that the weirdos, losers, and mutations. Uh, uh, should compl- uh, 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 stay the hell out of our way. And if they don't, bad things are going to happen to them. I like the way you put it in your piece about the uh, John Wick uh, rule of gun bearing and that if they come after even your dog, oh yeah, they should go lie down with those. Oh, May- uh, oh I, I, see I, my- I, look, in, in many states, uh, and I don't want to give people legal advice, you need to, look, if you're going to uh, uh, do armed self-defense. You need to be trained on your state's laws, and you need to be very clear. So I'm not going to give anybody any specific legal advice on their state, uh, except, uh, you know, where you can avoid a confrontation reasonably, uh, and uh, where you can't know your where you need to defend yourself, do it in co- strict conformity with the law. But right now, in most states, you cannot defend property. Pets come under property. But I had a uh, friend whose uh, dog was attacked by BLM scumbags. Wow. And uh, I don't understand how a civilized society should, and, and you, you, in many states, you can't use deadly force to protect property. That is, they could beat your dog to death in front of you, and you can't shoot them. Now, I find that unreasonable. Mm-hmm. I find that inappropriate. I am, I, uh, any dog on earth is worth more than uh, 10,000 uh, Jeffrey Rosenbaums. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, Joseph Rosenbaum. And yeah, Joseph Texas, Rosenbaum. Excuse Texas, me. I'm sorry, can, Jeff. Didn't mean okay. you. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Texas, you can use armed. Uh, you, you can well, you let, can fight let, back I mean, look, arm, hey, if you're in uh, Texas, before, before you defend property, go make sure the law is what, we, what, what, make sure you know the law. I don't want somebody right. to come back and go, but I heard on a podcast. No. Don't come back on the podcast. I'm not giving you no. legal advice. But I think in every state, it should be very clear if you, your family, or your you know, defense of your animals is self-defense, too. Because there are people—you remember that horrible case? Some uh, scumbag took a dog, threw it in the middle of traffic? Uh, uh, which time? Oh, I'm, that's, that, I, that I, happened I don't think there's only— that happened not uh, too well, long ago, and uh, look, this is a, a free country. I vote that that I vote that we use deadly force to stop that. Who's with me? Mm-hmm. I, I vote that we uh, legalize deadly force. He grabbed my dog. I thought he was going to kill my dog. I put a round through his head to stop him. All right. Mm-hmm. Adios, free. You, you can only night. do that if if you're a cop or you're a soldier. Uh, well, there look there are rules of engagements for both of those too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and look, I, I, there, there, there should be firm, clear rules about when you uh, can use deadly force. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't want those rules to be bent in a way that prevent people from doing what they have a moral and uh, a, a natural right to do. And in some places, they do. In some, th- this case never should have gotten as far as it did. It should have been thrown out at the. Th- it should never have been charged. And right. if it had been charged, it should have been thrown out at the threshold. They never revisited the charges. They never revisited the charges and compared them to what evidence they had from an investigation. Never went back and did that. Uh, uh, true. Uh, they, they, they left that to the jury who did it correctly. 
They should have stopped it from there. Yeah, it should you know, have gone right on. at that point. Should not have done that. Remember, I the punishment him. is part of the the process is part of the punishment. As you rightly point out, I think you're absolutely right. The process is the problem for these people who are in their crosshairs. I heard Andrew Bronca say today that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse saved lives because there were other people coming for him who could have legally been shot in self-defense. Yes, he missed one. But he didn't take the shot. He missed one. He Mm. he fired at one guy, uh, the guy who was kicking him, uh, missed him, didn't follow him and shoot him. When the guy retreated. Well, he shot twice. Yeah, when the guy retreated, he didn't. Continue to engage. I currently am writing a piece for PJ Media about all the lies that the prosecutors told at this trial. And it must one be of them, a long piece. Was it part it is, one through eight? <laughs> all right. No, that, that uh, was really uh, that. What the prosecutors did were a disgrace. They knew who that guy was. They knew his name. Yeah. They knew people were lying on the stand. They put them on anyway. They they came after Kyle Rittenhouse's Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. They did all kinds of unethical, illegal behavior. And they put it on for the jury. And what do you think should happen to him? Oh, uh, well, what, there's a difference between what will and what should happen to him. Uh, I, I, I think that the uh, uh, voters ought to throw out the DA, put a new DA in, and he ought to fire these hacks. Uh, because the current DA won't fire them. Uh, I, 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 I would not have a problem with the uh, judge uh, uh, forwarding it to the uh, state bar. They were also incompetent. I think they were strategically unsound. I don't see how anyone could have prosecuted this uh, a, I don't see how anyone could have charged this. I don't see how anyone could have prosecuted it uh, effectively. And since they couldn't, pro- since they were pursuing charges that shouldn't have been brought, they couldn't have been proven effectively. I think they chose to lie to win, and I think that uh, that that should be intolerable. And sadly, the Democrat establishment will tolerate it. How bad has it been in a courtroom that you've been in and when you've been up against somebody else and they've used unscrupulous methods to win a case? Uh, w- one of the problems is, uh, to me, a lot of judges uh, uh, don't react like Judge Schroeder did and nip it at the bud. Uh, there are a lot of judges who will let this stuff go on. And uh, it's very frustrating uh, because, you know, most lawyers try to kind of stay within the rules. I'm not saying they won't try and push things a little bit, but there's a difference between, you know, outright lying and pushing things. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think people have a pretty low opinion of lawyers, and I think uh, uh, in many cases that opinion's fully justified. You say in your piece at Town Hall, we need to normalize self-defense and we need to allocate the fear of violence to where it belongs. The criminals. I'm standing up and plotting. Yeah. Normal citizens should not be afraid uh, to uh, go out and they should not be afraid if the if the facts justify them using violence uh, to do it. Uh, Look, you know, violence is sometimes the answer. It's not always the answer. Somebody, uh, bl- somebody, you know, goes and snakes your parking space. You don't get to blow his head off. Somebody snakes your parking space. You go, hey, jerk. He gets out and runs at you with a baseball bat. Okay, now, 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 maybe we have a different story. Uh, I don't, you know, the the fact that 
where you have a clean cut case of criminals uh, trying to murder you and you have to spend over a year of your life not knowing where you're going to spend the rest of your life in a box, I think that's intolerable. Uh, among the reforms, uh, I, I believe the jury should hear the entire criminal record of the uh, alleged victim of the self-defense. And uh, people say, well, the guy who shoots him couldn't know that. You're right, he couldn't. But this is about objective justice, not 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 simply uh you know the the about what what this guy could have known or whether he acted mm -hmm. reasonably uh maybe he didn't act reasonably but i think the uh, if you don't look at that whole thing but if you also see oh gosh maybe he should have been afraid because this guy did 10 years for anally raping an eight-year-old uh I, I think that's important information for the jury to have. I don't think it's unfair. And if you don't want, uh, you know, if you don't want uh, the guy who shoots you in self-defense bringing up your past track record of perversions and crime, then don't, A, get yourself in a position where you get shot, but B, don't have a past track record of perversions and crime. <laughs> Kurt Schlichter, as always, I appreciate your work over at Town Hall and in the courtroom. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, if that doesn't convince you that there's something bigger at stake here, then maybe my conversation with 1A Cast's Kenny Hit will. Every attorney, everyone who depends on digital media to make big decisions, life and death decisions, needs to hear my discussion with Kenny Hit, who, of course, is the person who puts together the Adult in the Room podcast, does all the tech stuff. Well, he's been in the tech business for some 20 years. And he has something to say about the evidence, quote unquote, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case that was so unjust. Enjoy our conversation. During the Rittenhouse trial, a video came into prominence. It was taken by a drone by an unidentified person, and it was pretty fuzzy. Well, the one that the defense team got was pretty fuzzy, and that's why they called it the hocus pocus out of focus video that was an issue, a key issue in the Rittenhouse trial. And it appears electronic naivete came back to bite the parties involved in this trial. They should not have fallen for some of the shenanigans and chicanery uh, passed off by the prosecution. And some people thought, well, you know, it's uh, it's really no big deal. It's only an 18-year-old who might have had to spend the rest of his life in prison. What's the big deal? But the reason the fuzzy video purporting to show Rittenhouse uh, point his gun at a guy palling around with Joseph Rosenbaum, the child rapist, was Joshua Zeminski fired a gun, prompting the mob to flee, and he did so behind Kyle Rittenhouse and his buddy, Joseph Rosenbaum. It was he, in fact, who set off the chain of events. But the prosecutor said, no, it was actually Kyle Rittenhouse who set off the chain of events because he pointed his gun, which he'd been carrying around all night, prompting, provoking the attack by someone else who eventually got killed. Well, eventually, I shouldn't even say that. In the time it took me to say that word, that shooting happened. 
Rittenhouse was there. He and others had been asked to guard the car source, one of three uh, locations of that business that uh, had been torched in the days prior. And they were there to secure it. And Kyle Rittenhouse brought his medic kit. And on Friday, he was exonerated of all charges. He was found not guilty on all charges. But the mystery continues on how beguiled the defense as well as the prosecution perhaps could have been by the electronic problems that occurred with this Hocus Pocus out of focus video. And Kenny Hitt is with 1A Cast. You know that name because he's the guy who puts all of this together for the Adult in the Room podcast. And Kenny wanted to sort of give his insight into what was going on if chicanery was involved. And okay, Kenny, there should be adults in the room at the prosecutor's office and at the defense attorney's offices to be able to tell whether or not there was some real issues with this Hocus Pocus out of focus video because the prosecutor had one generation of the film, one generation of the drone video, a larger format, and then gave the the defense team a really much smaller one and a real fuzzy one. So can you explain that? Sure. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, you know, I'd, I'd reached out to you because I was I was paying attention to the case. Um, I should state uh, before anybody who might be listening, you know, kind of makes any kind of assumptions about me. Uh, I am not an attorney. <laughs> I am not in the legal profession. I'm a 20 year veteran of audio and video broadcasting. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've worked with video formats from half-inch VHS tape all the way up to modern uh, 4K video systems. So I've got a lot of experience, and and there's a lot of things about the way the video evidence was being presented that gave me some real concerns, um, because I know a lot about the technical side of things. I know that these things could cause some problems in in really any trial, uh, because this is not unique to the Rittenhouse case. Uh, this, These are issues that are ongoing in a lot of different cases for both prosecuting attorneys and defense attorneys. And um, going back specifically to the video in question, one of the things that, that f- I first heard about was, was this situation where the, where the resolutions on the videos were different. Right. The, the prosecution had a high-resolution video. Uh, they had sent a video to the defense when it was presented to them. It did apparently come in at the last minute, which has its own uh, sort of concerns. Uh, I think the prosecution is very fortunate that the, the judge didn't immediately consider that some sort of violation. Um, but we found out that, that the video that was sent to the defense was about one-sixteenth the size in terms of dimensions of the video that the prosecution had. And I made a couple of little sample videos that I had sent to you to kind of illustrate um, what that can change about an image, uh, especially when you take that small video and blow that up to a size that'll fill a TV screen. Um, when you do that to video, especially if you send it through a conversion software or a video editing software, it does something called resampling. And what that basically means is it'll stretch the video to fill the screen, and then any places that are fuzzy or out of focus, it'll either blur them or try to interpolate what's supposed to be there to 
at least try to salvage what's in that image. And working in commercial production, I get, I get this sort of thing all the time because I'll have, say, a client tell me, uh, I'd like to send you some footage to use in the commercial. And I always shudder when that <laughs> happens because <laughs> inevitably what I get is something that was shot on their cell phone. They might have actually had the cell phone turned vertically. Yeah. So it's just not usable. And we'll actually get to that in just a moment because that's another one of my concerns. Um, but when you stretch out video like that, it tends to annihilate a lot of the small, fine detail. And like I said, I sent you some samples. Mm-hmm. I'll try to see if we can get those embedded uh, on the show post yeah. at victoriataft.com uh, so that people can see some real-world examples of what happens when you change the size of a still image or a photograph. And a, bit, a lot of these difficulties come because modern court procedures don't have a lot of good policies in place for digital media. A lot of their ideas are still based around when we had film cameras for both uh, you know, yep. footage and still mm-hmm. images. Because if you've got film, if you've got a lens and you've got a good bright light, you can really blow that image up as large as you want and it'll never lose the detail. Yeah, as lo- depending on the size of your film, there's a lot of information that can be stored on one particular frame. And so it is, I think, right. with, with digital as well. No, it is not, actually. That's the, and that's that's the problem. Oh, when you've got film... Uh, <laughs> Did yeah, I say that the, wrong? When you've got film, <laughs> you, you were a little bit well, wrong. No, I mean, it depends on... A common misconception. Well, no, wait, hold on a second. I'm just saying that the, depending on what you have, like, for example, if you have a really fine film... I still shoot film because I love film, and I think that there's a heck of a lot of more information that you have depending on the kind of film that you use on a particular frame. So it is with a really high-def digital device. Um, that's all I meant to say, but uh, I, I thought you're jumping on me, Kenny. Thanks. Uh, doesn't it, well, I, did, I certainly didn't mean to jump no, no, on no. you. Doesn't it make, but that, that is actually, you know, let me just before, doesn't this make you concerned about every stinking case that relies on digital imagery to make a point, perhaps a life or death point. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, and keep going. You know, I'm looking at. I'll look at this, for example, from the prosecution's point of view. Let's say that the footage they had actually, like, unequivocally showed Kyle Rittenhouse walking up to a guy, putting a gun to him, and just pulling the trigger. Let's say it actually captured a real murder. Well, this smaller, out of focus file that they sent the defense. Mm-hmm. The defense could have absolutely gotten a mistrial out of that, or they should you know, have, or gotten. Yep, they should have. You know, if, if you know, again, I, I don't really have a, a a dog in this fight because I just I You're didn't just the watch the trial as closely as some people did. I'm just from the technological mm-hmm. point of point of view. But if that if that piece of evidence goes away, well, then suddenly, if let's say he actually was a murderer, well, now the prosecution's lost a big chunk of their case because so much of this case revolved around video footage and still images. Mm-hmm. So. Because we live in a world where literally everybody has a high-def camera sitting in their pocket, if not better. But the problem is that the video footage that you get from those devices can only be scaled up so far. Uh, with with film, the, the colors and the light information is stored on the molecular level in the film. So it is extremely difficult to get to a scale where that is not 
you know, retrievable information anymore. As long as you've got somebody who's fairly competent behind the camera and takes a nice crystal clear image, you can blow that image up as far as you want and you'll never lose any information. You can't do that with digital video because you're stored on the pixel level. And once that pixel resolution is stored any higher than that, and you start to degrade the image. Okay. Um, so in this particular case, they had this high definition 1980, I'm sorry, 1920 by 1080 mm-hmm. image that came from this drone. And I won't speculate as to how, although I think like a lot of people, I noticed that handbrake was on yes. the prosecutor's Tell computer. me about handbrake. Um, Handbrake is actually a very common used software. It's a freeware piece of software. I use it actually in my job myself, uh, where you can take one file and compress it down to a smaller size to make it easier to send or to convert one type of file that you can't use into a format that you can use. It has a lot of different uses. It's actually a very handy piece of software. I, again, won't question motives necessarily. (laughs) Um, I could certainly see them putting the file through the software, thinking, well, this file is so big, I can't email it over to them, so let me compress the file down so that it'll go through the email so they can get it. If you look at it on just a laptop screen, you may not necessarily see the quality deg- degradation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're looking at it on a small screen, if you're looking at it on a cell phone, it's really tough to see that degradation. Yeah. But, of course, when you put it up on a large screen TV like you would have in the courtroom, it becomes extremely obvious. Uh, Let me ask Um, you, let me just stop you here. So they had a 4K TV in the courtroom of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Mm -hmm. So let's say I have a, I'm the the evidence attorney for Kyle Rittenhouse, and I have something on my phone, and it was sent to me in a particular way, which we can get into in a second. Uh, Is that going to be something that I could just spin off my phone onto the 4K, and would that be commensurate um, the uh, commensurate uh, quality in the image? Uh, that's a hard question to answer uh, because it's all going to depend on what the size of the original file is. Like, the, the, like that file. Like, for example, she didn't get that size file, the 1080, uh, the, what is it, uh, what is it, 14? Well, I don't even remember what the dimensions were. It was, it was basically 1080p. It was 1080p, 1080p high, uh, yeah. high def okay. is what the prosecution so she So they get it, but they send it to her in different ways. Um, and they, they uh, I, and then if she were to take that off her phone in the way in which she received it, would she have gotten a reliable and detailed video from her phone on a 4K television? And would it matter at all? I mean, I don't even know. I, I will tell you that that, image that she had on her phone would look like garbage on an old tube TV uh, because it was it was it was terrible it was one quarter it was one quarter the size of a old standard definition tube TV program <laughs> it was just awful okay it was we, we were laughing so, like oh really you're gonna prove your case now that you've changed the entire prosecutorial theory on how to go about getting Kyle Rittenhouse put in prison for the rest of his life now we're supposed to depend on this image come on yeah let let me uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of a a mental illustration here the file that the prosecution had if they displayed on that 4k tv let's say they displayed it at its native resolution that 1080p image would take up one quarter of that 4k wow 
the one that the defense had would take one sixty fourth of that four K mm-hmm. screen. That's how different Jeez. the detail levels were. Now, if you show if you show a ten eighty p image on a four K mm-hmm. TV, it's going to look pretty fine because what it, what you're doing is you're basically just stretching the image. You're just basically making the pixels four times mm-hmm. the size. So it's you're not really going to lose any quality. It's just going to look like a a 1080p image, but that much lower resolution image that was only uh, I believe 270p, very very small image. When you Jeez. blow it up and look at it on that screen, it's going to look like it was shot through a jar of acid. Yeah, I mean I can't even use that on my website. I can't use that on any stories for PJ Media. I can't use that on Twitter for crying out loud and expect to have anybody be able to. F- clearly see the image now let me ask you this because i know this is kind of where we're getting to the company that provided the i well i'm not even sure what they provided they the images or the the medium by which they were able to change the uh uh, clarity of the photo I can't remember the, the name of the company at the moment, but they use AI to fill in the pixels, right? Do you know what company I'm talking about right now? I, I apologize for not having the name in front of me. That's kind of silly, but I, I, I don't know offhand, but there there are a lot of different companies that offer services along those well, lines. Well, this particular company, um, I think it's, it starts with an A, and and it basically it was that hey, listen, in their own user's manual. Do not use this for evidentiary purposes because we're filling in with different colors in the pixels that disappear because we're blowing this bad boy up so big. We have to sort of assume what's in the photograph. And when you're trying to assume what's in a photograph, Kenny, and this guy's life's on the line, you know, uh, the end of a gun might seem kind of important, right? Yes. And and this is one of the things that, that I made these videos for you to kind of illustrate there. Um, I took an image, uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll embed these in the, the show post at victoriataft.com. I took an image that I found on Unsplash. It was a very high-quality image. Um, shot during the day, very, very clear, very high-quality photo. I think it was a street street scene in Shanghai, I believe, mm-hmm. is, is what it was. Shot. Yeah, it was a beautiful picture. You see a lot of people in the shot. Um, and what I did is I took that still and I uh, I resampled it using Adobe Photoshop back up to its native resolution after shrinking it down. And what that does is the resampling process is kind of a basic AI type of, of algorithm that tries to smooth out the image and try to clarify it when you're going from a smaller size to a bigger size. And occasionally, you know, things have to be stretched a little bit. And as long as you're not going too far with it, it's generally not noticeable, but in this case, we're going 16 times the size of the image. So, one of the things that you notice, and and what I've done is kind of, uh, there's a little wipe effect that'll show you the original image, and then one of the algorithms that was used. So much of that fine detail you lose every time that you use one of these processes, because the image information in the lower resolution image just simply isn't there. It was never captured in the first place. So what the computer has to do is it looks at one frame, it looks at another frame, and tries to figure out how did it get from here to there. 
the more image information you have, the better the results you'll have. So if, say, someone was recording at 60 frames per second as opposed to, say, 24 frames per second, now you have 60 frames by which the computer can say, okay, so this is much more incremental changes. I can be a little bit more accurate as to how things are moving. Um, but if you're downloading, say, a file off of YouTube, everything is down converted to 24 frames per second when you upload it to YouTube, so it has a lot less information to work with there. So that's a lot of guesswork on the computer's part, and it is not always accurate. You can end up with all sorts of weird artifacts in your, your video there. Now, this sort of thing, I would imagine, is extraordinarily useful if you're an investigator. Let's say you're a detective and you're looking at a crime scene and you have this, you know, low-resolution image that you're trying to clarify because you captured a pro crime in progress and you're looking for a piece of evidence that you think was tossed away at the scene or something. Well, that could help you, of course, narrow down your search area, you know, uh, give you uh, some clue as to what you're looking for. But the the data was never there. Mm. It's what the computer thinks is right. there. So that's why, generally speaking, like as a as a video expert, I would not allow this stuff to be entered into evidence one way or the other. And, you know, I will say that the prosecution had so many contretemps in this particular case. Case after case. Hidden witnesses. Missing pieces of information. Trials that were put off so that particular people couldn't be available to testify. There were, at every turn, there was something that they did to obstruct justice in Kyle Rittenhouse's trial. It would not surprise me, one iota, to learn that they knew exactly what they were doing with this, this video. This fuzzy, hocus-pocus, out-of-focus video. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, again, I'm not going to make assumptions about what the, the prosecution's I'll motives were you. or were not. <laughs> You'll do that. <laughs> um, but these sorts of things concern me, too, because I do fear because there are a lot of cases that may need to be prosecuted, for example. Let's say you've got an actual bad guy that's on this, you know, that's up for trial. If you have a prosecution that's too reliant on this technology and you can get someone worth their salt who can come in and and pass, you know, doubt on this technology, then you could very well have, you know, someone go free that should not be free. Um, in this case, you know, you had the defense who was given this, this, this video, not knowing at that moment that they were given a low-resolution compressed mm -hmm. copy. They're building their defense around this because they think this is the evidence that the prosecution is entering. So you're going to try things very, very differently if you've got a 1080p crisp video and you're analyzing that versus a blurry video that you can that your entire defense can just be, well, you can't see mm -hmm. anything about what's going on. So why are you, you know, why are they even doing this? There's no way to tell. So I was going to ask about deep fake photos and deep fake videos. And the reason I was bringing it up was because I, I, you know, happen to be an expert on all of this. I'm sorry. Did I say that? I'm, of course, I'm lying through my teeth, but I can recall doing, I think it was Raven's Redemption, the audio book by John D. Trudell and produced by us, Kenny. And it talked about how in 
court, you can no longer say that an image is an image. You can indeed only testify to the extent to which it has been changed because there is no ability to determine if it's real or fraudulent. I mean, honestly. Not entirely true. Okay, I'm very happy to hear that. Video, the one thing that I would say anytime, whether you're a prosecutor or a a defense attorney, the one thing you should insist on when you're receiving video evidence is always insist that you get it from the device that recorded Mm -hmm. it. Not not from a computer, not via email, not from a Dropbox, not anything like so that. So are you suggesting? Say, I wait, want wait, you. So you, they would have gotten it from what? I mean, what were they using? A GoPro or something like that? Get it from the GoPro. I uh, I believe the 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 video that the prosecution had came off of the data card that was used by the drone that recorded this. Hmm. Uh, I think the if I if if my if my analysis is correct. Uh, the person who was flying the drone had downloaded the file off of the card onto their phone and delivered it to the prosecution that way. Um, it, had I been the prosecutors, I would have insisted on saying, you need to bring the card in and let us retrieve it from yeah. the card. Um, and honestly, they should have immediately called the defense and said, hey, we've got someone claiming they're bringing in a video. You need to come here so you can get a copy oh, well, of it. Well, this goes, uh, this whole- goes to the, the other thing. You were absolutely right, of course. The The way they authenticated this was, well, you know, I looked at this. It was a cop. Comes in and he goes, well, yeah, I was, I'm investigating this case and I actually have a political end game here, but never, never mind. And um, I just, uh, you know, I took it on my phone. I looked at it on my phone and then I, you know, expanded the image. I, I you know, pointed and then I expanded the image with my fingers. Uh, tell me. Please tell the tell the nice people out there how ridiculous this is, and that they allowed that as evidence in a trial. Uh, well, the the easiest way to authenticate footage is to look at the metadata. Um, any sort of device that you're using to record video is going to add metadata to that file that you can look at on a certain viewer uh, that's, you know, very easy to acquire. And it'll tell you what device recorded it, when it was recorded. Uh, Sometimes it'll even include geographic information. If it was edited in any way, that editing software is going to add its own metadata. So if that editing software metadata isn't present, then you can be confident that you're getting a raw, clean file. And yet there wasn't a raw, Uh, clean file. And the handbrake, they had the handbrake thing on the prosecutor's... um, computer but also they had a different sized video and a different length well the well what happens with with handbrake and again i'm i'm going to give like i said just a devil's advocate here maybe an actual devil we'll <laughs> see um because i'm i'm sure there's going to be some investigation into the the prosecution's conduct oh, i don't think the judge was too oh, happy with oh, their behavior are we sure about that i'm not yeah keep going <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things that, that, you know, and and I'm putting myself in their shoes. If I were trying to send a video, and it was a high-def video off of those drones, those can be fairly sizable files. If I was going to try to email it to somebody, the, you know, if they're wanting to look at it as just, we just want to view the video, as opposed to we're viewing this as evidence, like, I don't know what the conversations were at that point. 
If I was just trying to send it to somebody just for them to look at, I would probably run it through compression software to make it a smaller file to make it easier to transport. Now, this was very foolish on the part of the prosecution, because what they should have said is, come down to the office with a thumb drive, and we'll let you download it off the computer. <laughs> off, off okay, let's computer stop here. When you do that, you bring your own thumb drive, that nice uh, Sam scan or whatever that thing is, whatever it is. Do you lose any generation of clarity from that, uh, uh, you know, recording it onto your thumb drive? If you're making a copy of the original file, no. If you're, if it's been run through compression software or any kind of video editing software, um, yes, unless it's uncompressed video. Uh, if, if a video has ever tra- gone through a, piece of editing software, it has been fundamentally changed. There is no way around that. Um, it may not necessarily be changed in significant enough way to make an alteration in the, the actual content of the video, but something has changed about it. And that's one of the things that's also concerned me about this, is the file hygiene. Uh, there's, It's so difficult, given how the footage was acquired, to know what what the chain of custody was on this data <laughs> will we ever know that there was so much lying going on by the part on the part of the prosecutors this came from a drone company that subsequently went out of business poof right after the the riots uh tucker carlson got a copy of them i'm not sure to the, the extent to which he had a high def copy but i think they I think Fox News probably bought that off the guy. Then the guy goes dark. But uh, wait, lo and behold, the defense goes over to him and says, hey, we would love to have a copy of your drone video. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, sorry, I can't. No, 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 no. He, he bugs out. He goes away. But in the meantime, he approaches the prosecution and says, I've got video for you. And the prosecutors, this is months ago, Kenny. This is months ago. And the, and the prosecutors go, well, we, you know, this just dropped from the sky. We, you know, the, in like the last two days of the trial, this thing drops in. Oh, we just don't know where we got the providence is unknown. And the cop testifies, well, you know, it was a, I just, I did the point and click and did the thing and the guy at the place at the thing. And all of a sudden it's perfect. And, you know, I can attest to this, this particular drone footage. Well, wait a minute. Who took that? No idea. Gee, we don't have a name. Gosh, wow. You know that guy's name was on the witness list? I would say that that a lot of times if you have if you have someone who's an experienced video editor who's who has an experienced eye, they can look at a video and tell you I feel confident saying this is authentic. Uh, because whenever you're adding any sort of effect or making any sort of edits to things, there are things that that a trained eye can and will mm-hmm. spot. Um, I can tell you after working in video for 20 years, it's very difficult going to the movies. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't help but see something and say, oh, that looks fake. Oh, that's um, funny. I, as, as much as I love the John Wick movies, I can't help but look at the John Wick movies and say, that muzzle flash doesn't right, look right. Like, oh, crap, CGI <laughs> so, everywhere you look. It's, it's like, like, ah, that, that I, com- I get that. I, yeah. that. That compositing is just a little yeah. bit off. Um, but... Uh, one of the things that that we that we run into in in the video editing world is any time that you run video through any kind of software, what you get is compression, and compression can degrade an image. If you want a real world example of this, what I want you to do is get yourself a photo, any kind of photo, upload it to Facebook, 
then download it off Facebook, upload uh-huh. it again, and do that a couple of times. I love it. And you will see, you will see every time you do it that the image quality of that picture is going to get a little mm-hmm. worse because to to maintain their ability to load quickly, to deliver a lot of data off of limited mm-hmm. bandwidth, because as, as as much as big and expansive as the internet is, you know, even Facebook being a giant monolith of a company. They have a certain amount of pipe right. that they that can go into their servers that they have to deliver all of that data across. So they they use compression to make sure videos and photos are going through quickly. They upload and download as quickly as they as they can. You know, let me ask you this because we have threatened to talk about this before, and I I'm just going to throw just like sorry, but like this QAnon stuff that happened over the past, I don't know, year and a half or two years or whatever it was. And people would send me the weirdest stuff. And, you know, most of it was, I mean, it was just like fake. Or there'd be some guy on YouTube saying stuff that, you know, sort of came in mid-sentence. I mean, there were all sorts of incarnations of this tomfoolery and uh, horribleness. And could you go back and and rewind, if you will, to determine who was putting out that stuff? I think we we think we know those guys in the Philippines probably did it, but but I really don't know. I mean, it's just some guy on Netflix doing a documentary. What do I know? And how do I know that's real? Um, and determine how much of those videos and such were fake, 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 fake. Well, I mean, I would say in terms of the, uh, I mean, all of this goes back to PizzaGate. You know, when you have people claiming, oh, yeah, there's a basement underneath this, uh, this, uh, you know, pizza parlor in D.C. where they're doing horrible things to children. Well, it turns out the pizza parlor didn't have a basement. But <laughs> it didn't stop you know, him from going in. It, well, it didn't stop the guy from going in and shooting <laughs> right. up the place. Terrible. And, you know, it, we have, you know, there are always going to be people who, no matter how much evidence you give them, are going to believe the most outlandish thing. I mean, to this day, you know, I – when I went to the Tea Party mm-hmm. rally back, in, you know, when the Tea Party was a thing. Yeah, still is um, to some I, extent, I by the, the way. I just thought I'd tell you that. It's it's a – Keep going. There's, there's been a lot of schisms in that oh, particular tell church. tell me about it. Um, but it, I went to the, the original initial April 15th Tea Party, party rally here. And I'm seeing, you know, activists from the local Republican Party and the local Libertarian Party coming together and talking about taxation and individual rights and freedom and and the economy and and you know the recession and, sure. and you know they're saying all the right things and then this guy comes up and starts talking about how 9/11 was an inside yep. job and of course like at that point 95% of the crowd you, you they've now checked out they're like, leaving bye. because they don't want to hear mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you know and i i proceeded to get into an, like an hour and a half long argument where i had to like bring up what engineering i know it's like no this this yeah you know yeah. It, when you still have people saying fire can't melt steel well, because it naturally comes out of the ground in the shapes of gears and car doors <laughs> and spoons right um but it, what the reason people buy into this stuff is because they are unwilling to accept a very basic fundamental truth about reality and that is that one lone nut job can change the course of human mm-hmm. history yeah okay 
So if if you are not prepared to accept that, then everything has to be a conspiracy. So you can look at something that is completely innocuous and apply your own twisted logic to it and give things meaning. So this is why people think that we didn't land on the moon, <laughs> you know, because they'll say, oh, well, the fl- you see the flag, it's flapping in a breeze. I'm like, no, it's hanging from a little stick, a stick that's sticking out the side yeah. of the flagpole. <laughs> you know, oh, look, look at the, look at the, the moon dust. It's not, you know, it's not puffing up in right. little clouds. It's like, yeah, because there's no air. <laughs> you know, and, and people always freak out, you know, when I call them out on this stuff and I inform them, by the way, it would, it's actually less technically difficult and cheaper to actually send someone to the moon. Than yeah, no kidding. Occam's razor, baby. I mean, as tough as that was to send somebody to the moon, and we have more computing power, as we like to talk about in our iPhones, than they had to send that man to the moon. Uh, you know, it, it's simpler just to send the guy to the moon instead of making up all this crap. And and again, it's it's about being able to trust what you mm-hmm. see. Now, going back to the deep fake yeah. thing, because we kind of got a little yeah, bit away from that. that. Um, Deep, deep fake technology, the way that people are seeing that, it, it absolutely would not apply to this particular okay. case. There's just there's just no way it would work. Um, for deep faking to work, you have to have an extremely high resolution source image and then high resolution images for it to pull ah. from. So I've seen I've seen extremely well done deep fakes. There's actually a uh, a gentleman. Uh, we think it's a gentleman. It might be a lady. Who knows? Um, you know, in this this day and age, could be either or. Um, but uh, th- this person goes by the name Shamuk on YouTube. Check out their stuff. It is mind blowing because they have gone through and done all sorts of movies and put people into the movies who are ne- never there in the first place. So. Uh, for those who know anything about movie making, uh, the original Indiana Jones was actually going to be Tom Selleck, not Harrison Ford. So this person actually put Tom Selleck in Indiana That's Jones. That's awesome. And this guy was doing it out of his out of his house, like on his home computer. Um, Lucasfilm Lucasfilm hired him. To be uh, to be part of their special effects oh, team. Oh, that's amazing! So that's yeah, really Shamuk, cool. huh? Yeah, it's like when Nike. Uh, yeah. So these guys out of oh, where were they? I think I want to say they were out of Mexico or somewhere in South America, and they started knocking off their shoes. And then all of a sudden, Phil mm-hmm. Knight goes, "Well, these he gets a look at them, and he's going to sue them, of course, cease and desist, send the howler and everything." And he looks at the shoes and he goes, "Dang, these are pretty good." And he gets them on, and he has them start making their shoes for him. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to yeah. just. You know, tip of the hat to somebody who does a really good job of faking stuff. But, you know, and back to, back to somebody's life or death matters in a courtroom as to whether or not something is a, you know, several generations away from the original and therefore can, you know, be misused or construed to look like something it's not. Yeah. Generation loss in digital media comes from the editing process, not the duplication process. You know, back in the day, if you had a VHS tape, every time you made a copy of that VHS tape, it would lose Mm -hmm. quality. Um, But that's not the case with digital media. When you copy files, it just copies the it copies all the data one to one. But every time you run it through an editing system, uh, those little bitty changes over time will accrue. And it comes from exporting it to lossy formats like uh, mp4 mm-hmm, yeah. for example which is what a lot of people upload video to their phones in or uh, that's that's actually the uh the format used by youtube and vimeo and other 
file, you know, uh, video sharing mm-hmm. sites. Um, so every time, let's say you download a video off, you know, from YouTube, you use a Ripper software or something to download a YouTube video. When you upload it to your channel, if you do that, it's not going to look quite as good as it did when it was originally uploaded. Yeah. You know, every time you download and re-upload, it loses quality uh, because you're, you know, you're not actually just moving the file from my computer to their computer. You're uploading the data and then they're processing that data again. Every time it's processed, it gets it it gets changed a little okay, bit more. So, so you, can, you can see a real world example if you go onto Netflix or Disney Plus or any other kind of video streaming service, watch a movie that's kind of like a lot of fire or smoke or snow or waves, yeah. anything that's got like small particles mm-hmm. moving around, you're going to see a little lot of squares on the screen. And that's from compression. Oh, interesting. Okay, so did you get to say what you wanted to say about this? And is there anything I have we've not covered or I haven't asked you? Well, something else that I had kind of noticed uh, so much again, so much of this case was writing on video. Something I did notice, and this is a pet peeve of mine, but in terms of a life or death situation where you're either trying to convict a bad guy or exonerate a good one. When you have people who are recording with their phones sticking yeah, straight up. I hate that. Now, this is a pet peeve just because as a video editor, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, your eyes are horizontal, your TV screen is horizontal, people's, you know, people were made to watch things horizontally. But when you are dealing with a crisis situation, you're trying to gather video that you're either trying to make public or give to authorities or both. When you have a vertical video, what that's doing, that's cutting off information to the left and to the right of your video. And instead, all that is going, you know, up top where there's nothing going on that's worth seeing or down at the bottom where there's information, you know, nothing worth seeing. So you say, you know, say you have a video of Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, toting his AR-15. Well, if you don't have any information about what's going on around him to the left and the right, then he just looks like a nut walking down the street right. with a gun. But if you don't see the guy with the, you know, behind him running at him with a skateboard right. who's just out of frame, that makes a huge difference in how that video is interpreted. That's right. Well, that's why they took the video. When that drone footage, there was a whole bunch they did not include. The before, the after, I mean... There was a lot of information prosecutors chose not to share with defense, and that was in addition to the clarity of the video and the information on each pixel. They chose to reduce that, then they reduced the size, then they, it was just, it was really just malpractice. In fact, I think it was malfeasance. All right. And, you know, as you know, I have worked in the news industry. I've worked in in local news. I've covered trials, um, including ones where there has been uh, video footage entered in as as evidence. And in a lot of cases, you know, either the prosecution or the defense will will trim down video to just the relevant portion, um, because you you know, and especially in a case like this where you have this drone footage, well, what happened before? you know, the, the Rittenhouse situation, a lot of footage of people burning and looting and, you no, know, turning cars I, I, over and things like that. about the 45 so, seconds or minute before that? Where, what, where were all the players? Who was where? What happened? And, and, 
and that is an excellent point. And and you know, again, uh, this is probably definitely on the defense. They probably should have said number one objected to the edited version say hey this is prejudicial but number two on cross-examination should have gone back and said we're going to rewind this video more and we're going to show you the first minute minute and a half before all this stuff happened and try to and clarify that and they never did well, they that didn't have i it. noticed that they, they did not they did object to it but they did not request or vet or voir dire an actual expert the only guy they had on the stand for that was that cop was absolutely outrageous yeah. and and uh, that that's again that's it's on the defense so they didn't like specifically say prejudicial they they were just they were objecting more to the you didn't give us the right file we want a mistrial but at, at, at the very least it should have been you know this is prejudicial one of the other things that was prejudicial that I didn't like um, and this is just from a storytelling perspective we'll say when you've got the prosecutor going frame by frame and the defense did it later going frame by frame for the video well when you're going frame by frame of course you have the ability to sit here and inspect that frame for as long as you want before you move on to the next one Um, very fun to do if you're watching a movie trailer and you're looking for all kinds of little easter eggs (laughs) not so much if you're the defendant in a murder trial because you didn't have you know that entire frames discussion worth of time to make your decision. You're looking at one, you know, at most one twenty fourth of a second saying, yep. you know, when you've got the prosecutor saying, Oh, he had not quite lifted his gun yet. It was like, but this is one frame out of 24 in a he second. He shot him in the back. You know, when, yeah, it was the same thing. Yeah. When you have, when you have, you know, you, you never got to the point where, where you got, Okay, this is the amount of time that this defendant had to make a snap decision in a very dangerous situation. Spot on. You know, and and going through footage frame by frame is it's helpful when you're trying to examine someone's actions in the midst of thing if they're acting with malice or if they, you know, let's say you have a defendant who is suspected of tossing a package of drugs or something out of a right. car. If you're looking at the dash cam footage, you're going frame by frame. It's like, okay, so here you can see the package being thrown out the window of a car. That's one thing. But when you have, when you're trying to use that, that, that minutia to say whether or not somebody had a gun trained on someone at right. that moment or not, <laughs> that's not exactly a fair way to look at nope. things. Um, especially, Especially when you consider that most phones are not necessarily taking a full image every frame. And this is something else that a lot of people don't understand about how how cameras work these days. Uh, old movie cameras, when they had a shutter, was an actual shutter that would open and close like, uh, like an iris. Okay, that's how the shutter would work. Modern cameras use what's called a rolling shutter, which is literally a, a barrel-shaped uh, apparatus inside the mm-hmm. camera that spins. And that's why if you're looking at, at footage that, you know, where there's a lot of movement, it'll, you know, kind of warp to the left or right sometimes mm-hmm. as the camera's yeah. moving. That's what that is from. So if you're looking at a single frame of image and you're looking at a, you know, uh, you know, 
information that's at the top of the screen versus the bottom of the screen, it may blend very nicely, but it may not necessarily reflect what was actually going on at that moment. It's amazing. See, people don't know that. And when they introduced that in court, it was such a travesty. And I knew it, but I just didn't have the technical expertise to determine the proper questions to ask and to ascertain what was going on. And neither did any of the attorneys in there, and certainly not the judge in this case. I think I think the, the biggest takeaway that people should have is that video is an incredibly important and useful tool for presenting evidence in, in a case like this, but it must be treated as what it is. Uh, you, you can't try to put things in video or digital photography uh, or try to interpret things from those that aren't there because the information was simply never connect- collected mm-hmm. in the first place. If the data isn't there, it's not there, and you can't treat it as if it might be there because it's not. Kenny Hit 1A Cast helps with the uh, Adult in the Room podcast. Boy, we have to do this again. We'll do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen and give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.